Professor Tim Bale uh, from UK and Changing Europe to find out what he made of it all. Tim, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Would you say that that was a pretty fair estimate of what happened in terms of... Uh, uh, it was a kind of a no-score draw. There's nothing that particularly memorable that came out of it. Um, and probably you would say Corbyn did better than expected and Boris did worse. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be too down on Boris Johnson on this. I mean, he did get his main messages across, if you like, which was, you know, I'll get Brexit done and Jeremy Corbyn doesn't really uh, have a position on his position. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, given that that was, you know, the Tory message, I, I think, you know, he, he did manage to get that. Although the repetition of it, I think, did become a bit ridiculous and a bit tiresome. And that's why, actually, you know, it provoked quite a lot of derision from the audience, I think, after a while. Yes, but I suppose, from your point of view about Boris, he would have said that as many times as he did in order for it to sort of resonate and for it to sink in for people to talk about how ridiculous it was that he asked the same question so many times because he wants us to remember that there was no answer. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. And, of course, we do assume that everybody is going to sit through the whole thing and therefore saw him do it again and again and again. Whereas some people, if they, you know, manage to grit their teeth and, uh, and watch it at all, will only have watched it for 10 minutes or so. And, uh, and therefore, a bit of repetition doesn't do any harm in that respect. No, I mean, those poor characters like you and I, uh, Tim, who have to sit through the whole thing, um, I literally can't think of anything that made me sort of sit up and take notice. I think my favourite moment, maybe, was when uh, one particular audience member asked the question about, you know, how ridiculous it's been over the last three years and how terrible we have been in terms of uh, of our democracy and the leadership uh, problem and the fact that people have been so sort of frustrated by the way the politicians have been behaving. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you know, the audience in some senses, and people who said this, was the real winner. You've got a real sense of, you know, the disconnect that people feel with both of these guys, really. Um, you know, neither of them exactly provide a role model, I think, for... Uh, for the electorate, and, and you know, it will be, I, I suspect, like this election, rather than a beauty contest, an ugly contest, really. Yes, no, I think It'll so. about, you know, which uh, which party, you know, you you, you oppose least in, in some ways. Yeah. I, I mean, back to Jeremy Corbyn, I mean, uh, clearly, you know, he was always, in some ways, at an advantage here, simply because people know Boris Johnson and probably know a little bit less about um, Jeremy Corbyn and see him less than Boris Johnson. And, and as long as he didn't turn up and, you know, trip over his shoelaces, um, you know, people were going to get a slightly more favourable impression of him than perhaps they, they had before. But his refusal to answer that question, I mean, you know, was very, very obvious. The other thing I would say, however, and, and I think, you know, as we've got more debates uh, coming up, I do think the TV um, people do have to think about how they handle politicians simply talking over mm. uh, the moderator uh, and sort of blustering away. And Boris Johnson in particular was guilty of that. You know, he just did not keep to time. And rather than just sort of turning his mic off, um, you know, they let him keep going. And I'm not sure that's a good way to do it. But, you know, you as a talk radio presenter may have more... <laughs> More, well, uh, I, I just, did, I just interrupt people and shout them down. It's as simple <laughs> as that, really. But I mean, the thing is, I think it's difficult to turn microphones off. And I think, to be fair to to both of them, both Boris and to Jeremy Corbyn, you know, the, 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 the allotted time for answering a lot of the questions seemed quite short, and and, and Julie Etchingham seemed to jump in quite quickly. Yeah, she did. And I mean, there, there's also a question, isn't there, about whether, you know, you want as much audience participation as you actually um, got there, whether it would be better to leave it to the journalists to ask a few more, you know, follow-up and forensic questions. But, um, you know, as a, as a spectacle, as you say, I mean, it wasn't particularly uh, enlightening, uh, you know, it wasn't even particularly uh, entertaining. But uh, I think a no-school draw, as you say, is probably the best... Uh, 
the best summary. Yeah, well, let's have a listen to a bit of it. We've got a clip here uh, of the audience actually laughing at Boris Johnson. Does the truth matter in this election? I think it does. And I've, I think it's very important. <laughs> I think it's very important to hear from... I've been very clear about the deal that I've done. Does that tell you that the, the, the sort of the, 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 the music that the Labour Party have been playing, that Boris Johnson is untrustworthy, is kind of getting through? I think so, but then there is also the question of whether actually voters care that much about it. I mean, clearly they don't like the fact that you know they don't really trust either of these guys, just yeah. that they don't trust politicians. But whether it will actually make a difference to who they vote for, I'm not sure. It's almost, you know, to coin that cliche, priced in as far as Boris Johnson is concerned. Uh, you know, and, and trustworthiness perhaps doesn't matter as much to voters as, for example, decisiveness or or even to some extent likability. And that's where, of course, um, Johnson scores much higher than Corbyn. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people said Jeremy Corbyn looked less energetic uh, than the last time the debates were held back in 2017. To be honest, I can't remember that far back, so you'll, I'll have to ask you uh, if that's correct or not. Well, I think 2017, I mean, was really a bit of a revelation for some people about Jeremy Corbyn, because, you know, he was barnstorming all over the country, doing these huge rallies, and he did look really up for it. But a lot of people have said, you know, it's much more low wattage this time around. He's a bit older, maybe. He's done it before, not quite got the enthusiasm. And to be honest, if he's looking at the opinion polls, he must. He must, if he's honest with himself, you know, think that the Labour Party's in big trouble. Yeah. A lot of people who were watching it and, and commenting on Twitter were making um, remarks about his glasses as well, because he started, he came out without wearing glasses. He then put the glasses on. They appeared to be um, very unevenly balanced in terms of what one was. One had a huge, thick piece of glass and one didn't. I mean, I sympathise with that because I have one eye which works better than the other. Um, but, you know, a lot of people were sort of focusing on that and saying, you know, why doesn't he wear better glasses? I mean, it tells you about the way that people see these things, doesn't it? Well, no, you make a really good point there because, you know, we are, we all have, you know, hidden depths of shallowness, don't we? Yeah, and, uh, oh, totally, yeah. <laughs> actually, actually, you know, um, people can make up their mind about people, A, quite quickly, and B, you know, on the optics of the thing. And mm. I, I do agree. One thing Boris Johnson did do, I think, was look, uh, you know, straight down the barrel of the camera quite often, you know, so look at the uh, audience in the living room. Whereas Jeremy Corbyn, you couldn't actually quite see his eyes, and that was a little bit odd. I yeah. mean, you know, you, you didn't really feel he was kind of making eye contact uh, in a way that the, the Johnson was. Now, you know, of course you can dismiss all this stuff, uh, but, you know, that kind of body language, who knows, it can make a difference. Yeah, exactly right. And as far as the actual um, sort of audience was concerned, it seemed very partisan. I don't know how they put that audience together. Um, you and I are going to be appearing a panel uh, tomorrow night, which we'll talk about in a little while. I'll give it a decent plug. Um, but it's a very partisan audience, wasn't it? It was almost an American-style kind of whooping and cheering whenever, you know, their man was saying something they liked. And then, and then sort of, you know, the opposite happens when, when your, opposite, or your opposite number says something. Yeah, and I suspect that has to do with ITV not wanting a kind of, you know, sterile atmosphere. And, you know, I don't quite know how the audience were warmed up before, but you're quite right to say, you know, that they were really the ones that were providing the electricity and the, the energy in the room because neither Corbyn nor Johnson themselves were actually giving us much in that respect. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And so, I mean, that's the first one sort of underway, if you like. Um, there will be others. Um, I thought also afterwards, the kind of the, the, the second division sort of debate, which wasn't, really wasn't worth doing, you know, with a, with a lesser broadcaster, uh, with the, the people uh, who were assembled around that, Joe Swinson, um, and of course, uh, Nicholas Sturgeon, and uh, the Greens leader, whose name I can't remember, and, uh, and Nigel Farage. 
Yeah, I mean, to be honest, you know, the number of people watching that must have been fairly small. I think it was only kind of four million for the main debate. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you can see why those leaders, you know, particularly Swinton and Surgeon, are so angry about being excluded from, from the main debate. Uh, and to be honest, you know, you can see why... You can see why uh, ITV did it. You can see why the BBC want those kind of head-to-heads, you know, because these are the two guys who might be prime ministers. But actually, I think a few more people in the room might have, you know, uh, actually produced a few more sparks, to be honest. So I'm just wondering if they really feel that they've got that right, the broadcast. Yeah, I don't know, really. I mean, my feeling is that if there's more of them, it's even more kind of um, convoluted and, and, and they have even less time well, to, to yeah. answer the questions. And yeah, I mean, I'm that, just casting my mind back to that awful debate that Emily Maitland's hosted with the five um, Tory leader candidates which was just horrendous. Yeah, no, you've, you've got a point there. I mean, you know, there are trade-offs to make. Uh, maybe the, the kind of clarity that you get from two people, you know, is, is, is something to be prized. I'm not sure. I mean, seven, seven's a crowd. You might get away with three, maybe. I think that might be a bit better, you know. And, and, and the, the one that everybody remembers and probably did make a bit of a difference was the, you know, the Nick Clegg um, yes. one with uh, David Cameron and Gordon Brown. You know, that worked reasonably well um, and that created a bit of a surprise and a bit of energy, but certainly, you know, last night's, you know, was nothing on that. It really wasn't. It was very disappointing from Boris's point of view. Did you not think, I know you say he got quite a few of his points across, but, you know, this is a guy who we're told constantly is very much the, the, the sort of the, the, the debater uh, in chief. He knows exactly how to run campaigns. He gets very galvanised by, by the actual election campaign itself. I thought he was quite flat, really. He was quite muted. I mean, maybe he's tired, I don't know. I mean, he never performs quite as well as people expect him to. If you think about those Tory leaders debates, mm. he didn't do particularly well there either, no. to be honest. And and Corbyn, I mean... So where does he get this reputation from, then? Well, <laughs> I got it. Could it be from the newspapers that support the Conservative Party? I don't know. Who knows? I mean, I think, you know, he's he's in some ways he's better giving a speech than he is... Uh, generally speaking, when it's a more kind of interactive uh, thing, but you know, who knows? I mean, you know, maybe maybe he's uh, he's tired. Maybe he's just off his game. Uh, you know, and he might up it next time around. Yeah, right. So, I mean, overall, I suppose, um, who would be happier this morning? Would it be Corbyn's camp or would it be Boris Johnson's camp? Do you know, I think, you know, partly because of what you said, it being a no-score draw, I think both will be reasonably happy. I mean, Corbyn, you know, will, I guess, be disappointed that he didn't make some game-changing intervention. But the fact that he didn't, you know, make any mistakes and and didn't look a complete idiot, uh, you know, and was on a par with... uh, Johnson, I guess, is, is good for him. And, and once again, you know, to reiterate, although it was very boring for those of us who had to watch the whole thing, Johnson <laughs> did get across his points, you know, uh, on several occasions. I mean, if you were to look at the papers this morning, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to work out what had happened, really, because the Times has got neck and neck after TV clash. Uh, the Express has got uh, Corbyn dodges Brexit question nine times. Laughable Mr Corbyn, says the Daily Mail. Uh, and uh, uh, Boris has made a laughing stock on the Daily Mirror. So take your pick, really. Yeah, take your pick. I mean, you know, whether these this will make very much difference, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, the, you know, we'll be looking maybe over the next few days, political nerves, to see if there's some move in the polling. I can't see that happening, to be honest. I mean, Johnson, you know, and the Conservatives are, are quite a long way ahead. I'm not sure that Corbyn did anything that's going to change that. No, I think you're probably right. Now, let's get on to more pressing matters, which is this uh, panel that you and I are appearing on tomorrow night with the headline, Britain's Angriest Election? Question mark. I can't for the life of me uh, wonder why they've asked me to come to this. <laughs> I mean, I'm not well, angry I... at all. <laughs> 
No, uh, but you know, you, you perhaps deal with a few listeners who are. So you've got some <laughs> it's true. To that that might be the, <laughs> that might be why they've got you as as uh, well as the rest of us on. I mean, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I think we've got to the point where you know we we're obsessed with the idea of anger now, and and forget that actually elections in some ways are supposed to generate a little bit of passion. Mm. You know, as long as the thing doesn't get completely out of hand, is that such a bad thing? Because these are serious issues that we're. Um, considering, I mean, obviously, you know, if it comes to blows, um, you know, well, or let's hope not. particularly, yeah, <laughs> not tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, if it gets particularly poisonous, this election campaign, that will be a problem. But I, I think we need to be a bit careful that we don't go overboard and think that everything, you know, in some golden age was conducted in some incredibly yes. civilized way. You know, we all shook hands afterwards, and uh, you know, everything was. Uh, you know, um, fair and honourable. It's never really been like that, to be honest. No, and I've also detected a kind of um, a dialing down in some ways of the anger since the election's actually been called, because I think a lot of the anger was frustration more than it was anger, that here we were sort of, you know, three and a half years after the fact still not leaving the European Union, not looking at anything like getting close to leaving the European Union. I think people are now seeing because there's actually uh, a ballot that they can go and vote in on December the 12th, that they can see some kind of um, you know, movement on it. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, in some ways, people have talked, haven't they, about this election feeling rather flat. And yeah. that perhaps could be, you know, what you're talking about there. In other words, you know, we've been so angry for so long that now we've actually got a chance to kind of vent it. <laughs> not really taking the opportunity because we're all, we're all tired of that. I mean, who knows? Things could get angry you know, uh, over the next few weeks. But it doesn't strike me that this is a, you know, particularly kind of passionately for election compared to others. No, uh, but, quite. See. But, uh, but I mean, we certainly don't think anyway that after last night, there's that much change, really. No, I think I think that's that's the thing. No game changer, and I think you put it really well. No score draw. Okay, Tim. Well, I'll see you tomorrow night. Thanks very much, indeed. Tim Bale, there, Professor uh, Tim Bale, of course, who is from uh, UK in a changing Europe. He's going to be joining me uh, and some other speakers at uh, a debate tomorrow night, which is at uh, Bush House in London part of King's College London, uh, really, really near the uh, uh, Holborn Tube Station. If you plan, for that, plan to come along, have a look at my Twitter. Uh, I'll put it on Facebook as well uh, if you want to come along. Uh, it is actually free to come and see it, would you believe? What better value than that can you imagine?